You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, we have a special interview with Michael Scotto, who used to be at The Athletic, now is at Who's Hype. He hosts a podcast for them. He writes for them. It was a very wide-ranging discussion. We started out talking everything about the OKC Thunder that you might even think about knowing, especially their head coach and kind of his style and really the future of where the OKC Thunder go from here. I think that they are one of the most exciting, interesting teams in the NBA. We followed that up with a bunch of other topics and ended on a conversation around the draft and Brendan Miller's draft stock and everything in between. Can't wait to share the conversation. Do me a solid, Nick, and drop that generic-ass beat. I did want to start off talking about the Thunder. I just think that, one, I saw your piece on Jalen Williams, so, and I loved it. I love the fact that you found something really interesting about Mark Dagno, which I think he's probably the most under-the-radar coach in mm-hmm. the NBA. Uh, what do you think about their future and in the, in the big picture of, of where they're going? Because to me, they're the most intriguing, exciting team in the NBA. Well, Trista, I think there's a lot of layers to that question. Number one, um, Shea Gilgis Alexander has put himself in the most improved player of the year conversation with Lowry Markinen and a couple of other players. Um, you know, Shea has become one of the top NBA guards in the league and a first-time All-Star. I think a lot of people wondered if he would get frustrated with Oklahoma City um, from the outside looking in because they hadn't been winning, but he's carried that team and um, – they've been great. I think for him, he realized the challenge ahead, you know, when he signed that max contract extension and from Oklahoma City's standpoint, that guy was a franchise pillar that they're trying to build around. So I always kind of got a kick out of people trying to wonder if they would trade him because I never got that sense from, from talking to members of Oklahoma City's organization and you see why this year. Um, I will say they've surprised people and I think quietly they may have surprised themselves a little bit because when Chet Holmgren went down, um, a lot of people figured they were going to get another high-end lottery pick and maybe have a shot for Victor Wembanyama. But Josh Giddey's taken a big step forward this year with his shooting ability. He's one of the most versatile guys in the league. Uh, Jalen Williams has been a really good rookie. Um, I'm sure he's going to be top five in rookie of the year voting, I, I think, this year, probably behind Paolo Bancaro, uh, you know, the hope for the Italian world. Um, and uh, we can get into that later. Um, but also Ben Matherin's been sensational uh, for Indiana and, and helped them win more than people thought um, before Tyrese Halliburton went down. So for the Thunder, two things I thought were interesting. One, you mentioned the point about Mark Bagnall with, with Jalen. And I thought it was funny because it's like a microcosm of who Mark Bagnall is. You know, Jalen Williams is going through the workout and he thought Mark Dagnall was just like a trainer or some random guy just, just there, you know, running the workout. And it's the head coach of the Thunder. And if you look at this guy, um, he's pretty much an average Joe-looking fella. You know, God bless him. He didn't look like he had a lot of gray hairs yet, uh, probably because Oklahoma City surprised a lot of people this year. Um, but this is kind of how he goes about his business. Like, it was his birthday the other day, and Oklahoma City posted, I think, a picture of him. He had like a pretty monotone look on his face. And I texted um, a buddy of his about it and he, and he sent it to him. He said, yeah, everybody has birthdays. So I got to kick out of that. Like that's kind of his, his personality. He doesn't really stick out like that and seek attention. 
And that's why I thought Jalen Williams' story about working out for him and then realizing later on that he was the head coach was pretty funny. But um, the other thing I thought was interesting that I wanted to know in talking with Jalen was, like, Sam Presti has gotten this reputation of collecting draft picks kind of like Pokemon cards. And I wanted to know from Jalen what was the vision that Sam Presti is selling to the guys, especially draft picks that he uses them, uh, you know, these selections on. And he said that, you know, going into the playoffs, they, they want to knock the door down. They didn't want to surprise people. And it's ironic because I think now as they're kind of somewhere in that play-in conversation, they would be surprising people. They wouldn't be knocking the door down. I think they're ahead of schedule, um, which could be a good and a bad thing because sometimes I think that might set um, too high of expectations for the year ahead. Um, but, I mean, you know Shea Gilders-Alexander is a franchise stalwart for them. And a, and a core guy to build around. You could say the same about Josh Giddy. Jalen Williams looks like a good piece. And they're trying to figure out the rest of the stuff around that. And, you know, Chet Holmgren comes back, and, and there obviously is an excitement level there. Um, he's going to make that team better when he's fully healthy. Um, hopefully he can he can bulk up a little bit. You know, maybe he needs to go to – I don't know if there's a little Italy down there. We'll get him some pasta or something to, to, to put on a little weight. They'll probably want to give him some steaks. But it's a bright future for sure. Um, depending on where they fall in the draft this year. And I'm curious if they're going to start to try to uh, monetize those picks and, and flip them for more veterans uh, to win now. Cause it's pretty much like a college basketball team in terms of age at this point, probably Shay's like the veteran there. Yeah. There's 12, 12 players under the age of 24, which we'll get to in a second, but we don't know anything about uh, Mark Dagnell. Like I don't know anything about him. There's never been, you know, post-game pressers where he said something that's gone viral. There's there's not there's not a lot of like tape on him. Right. There's not a lot of profiles written, right? Like your piece sort of gave a little bit of insight into how under the radar he is, but I think he's probably the least recognizable NBA head coach, not just from name, but face as well. Yeah. Like you said, he's just a regular looking guy, young looking guy. Kind of looks like he's been plopped into witness protection. Uh, like in terms of just like, here you go. You're now the OKC Thunder coach. Uh, we've given you a new identity because right. uh, he kind of came out of nowhere. What do you think is the most interesting thing about him from what you like just read or, or talked to folks about? Probably just from Jalen that he goes so, and I mean, you alluded to it, that he goes under the radar, goes about his business, doesn't seek the limelight. I think one time this year he probably questioned the officiating, and that was maybe the most recognizable quote from him, that he wanted more calls for his guys, which I could respect. Um, to me, that's just the biggest thing about him. You don't know a lot about him. I think he's perfectly fine with that, and I think so is Oklahoma City. They are, they are fine and dandy operating in the shadows, and sneaking up on you and letting the play speak for themselves. And, and I, I think Mark's done one of the better jobs as, as a head coach this year among all the coaches in the league. I'm not saying he's going to win coach of the year, but I, I certainly think that he's earning his paycheck, if not more, down the line. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Sam Presti is the kind of guy that also wants to operate in the shadows? Yes, 100%. Sam is – Low key doesn't do a ton of media like that. I mean, like what I'll say when I mean what I mean by that is he'll do a very long end of season or like press conferences with his local beat reporters. But I think if you try to crack inside the walls of Oklahoma City, what's going on with the team? Um, 
Sam is one that keeps things very close to the best. And that's just how he operates for sure. Yeah. I've seen also situations where people either are revealing things mm -hmm. that they're not supposed to reveal or that are true or revealing things that are not true. How, how the Oklahoma city franchise almost operates like a fortress. Like once you are seen as someone who is telling tales out of school, you're no longer allowed sort of anywhere nearby. That is accurate. I can't, <laughs> I can't really expand on it. It's like, yeah. they're, it's like they're Fort Knox. Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating to me. And I think they're doing such a great job and that adds to the mystery of it, right? And like you said, this team has 12 players under the age of 24. The oldest players are Kenrick Williams, 28, Dario Saric, who's maybe a buyout candidate, right? They're 500 team. And everybody thought that this team would be in the Victor Wambayama sweepstakes. But yeah. we have no idea really what they're going to do next, right? We don't even have a pulse on that. Um, what do you think this team would be, first and foremost, would be if Chet was fully healthy? Would they, because it's, it's so wide open in the West. I think they'd be higher in the play-in conversation. I don't know if they would be a top six team. I think that's a little advantageous. Um, but I really think a lot of this comes down to Shea Gilders Alexander has, I mean, he's always been a good player. He's always been like 25, five and five, but this year it's just a whole nother level. Um, and obviously to average 30, I know today's rules and the way the game is played, it's not as uncommon, but it's still very impressive. No question. Um, I think with Chet, I mean, I think they'd be a lot better. I, I think they would be certainly in the, in the higher end of that play-in conversation. Um, and, I, and, again, I didn't think that coming into the year. Because there's only four games separating, mm -hmm. like, fourth and tenth, right? So yeah. if you look at that, uh, maybe, maybe they are top six seed when it's all said and done, given how tightly compacted it is. I won't go that high, but I, I can I can get the argument for sure because yeah. Chet is, is that good of a player. But, um, again, I, I just think that they've overshot their own expectations. And no team is ever going to say that, you know, oh, yeah, you know, we'll throw them out there and see what happens. But um, they've definitely, around the league, surprised people a lot. And I, and I think come, you know, the, the – as we, I don't even want to call it the second half because only like twenty something games left. But right, the the stretch run, I think teams are definitely going to look at them more seriously than they did at the beginning of the year and not take them lightly. A lot of teams used to rest guys against uh, Oklahoma City and thinking that oh this is going to be an easy win. Well, you know, Jake Gilgis Alexander, Mark Dagnall, and Josh Giddy never got that memo a lot of nights. That's and true. I think, and I think that that has helped them. You know, I, Chet is intriguing. Um, in the sense that, you know, I think next year he can contribute a lot, obviously as a shot blocker and, and offensively, but I'm really curious to see how much he bulked up because in today's game against NBA centers, um, I know it's been more of a small ball kind of game, but he's still got to bulk up a lot. I mean, the biggest difference when I would always talk to scouts and executives around the league with like a Victor Wembanyama versus a Chet is that Chet his shoulders and his physique is different than Victor. Victor looks like he can hold more weight on him. Um, so for Chet, I think it's going to be interesting to see how 
He fills out his physique. Um, I don't know if I ever see Chet being like this 200 and I don't know, 50 to 60 something pound guy. I don't, I don't really see that. That doesn't seem like his body type. So it's going to be interesting to see if they end up, you know, maybe making him a four and yeah. putting a big next to him, uh, more of a true center with, with more size and weight. Yeah. Like you said, this, this team, I was looking at how many first round draft picks they have in the next four years. They have, mm-hmm. it's crazy. They have 11 first round picks in the next four years. Yeah, so, them and the Knicks might as well just trade off, um, you know, when Adam Silver and Mark Tatum go and, and read the names. It's, it's, it's wild. Yeah, it, it really is. And so they can't possibly keep all those guys, right? Like they can't no. possibly have all these rookies to absorb onto their team. So at what point, like you mentioned just a little bit, like you alluded it to, at mm-hmm. what point do they flip some of those? Do you think it's inconceivable for them to say, I don't know, we'll give you six first round picks for the number one overall pick this year for Victor or, or, or do you think it's like for a disgruntled star? What, what would you, from what you can kind of gather, what do you think that move is? If I was saying Presti, I would give up as many picks as I could to get Victor Wambanyama if I don't get the number one pick in the draft this year, because him and Chet would be. Yeah. You know, I know for your audio listeners, that might be tough to hear, but that, that was like smoke blowing out of my, my brain. Um, I think ultimately, how do you score on that? I, I would try to give up the farm for Victor Wembanyama, and I would argue that he's got the highest trade value of anybody maybe outside of like a Giannis Antetokounmpo because the ceiling for that guy is so incredible. Um, but when you said about trading for a star – I don't think it would be a disgruntled star. What I what I mean by that is you're going to want somebody that along the lines of Donovan Mitchell is under contract for maybe the next three years that you know that you're going to be able to have him under contract and try to try to make a run that's maybe a younger guy that fits with the core. Um, I think that would be their best shot. We saw them do it when they tried to get Paul George, when they got Paul George. Um and when they had gotten Carmelo Anthony, when they thought they were more of a contender, but um, I like I like the Victor Wembanyama trade idea you you proposed. I'd, I'd give up the farm for him if I was Oklahoma City, because I think in the next tra- couple of drafts coming up, that that's another thing people you know are going to start weighing now what these drafts look like coming up. Eventually, guys are going to be in high school gyms again. Um, that's the expectation. So the quality of guys that are going to come in and be impact players on a win now team is going to lessen over time. Yeah. And they could give up six and still have another five in the next four rounds, which is still more than one first rounder each year, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like, I feel like Victor Womanyama, like you said, is, is, is more valuable on the open market to get him who we have not seen play in the NBA than a Kevin Durant then a Devin Booker, then a Damian Lillard, which is kind of insane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they cost, look how much they cost. You know, Dame's going to be $60 million. It's going to be tough Oklahoma City to build around a guy like that. Yeah, and that guy's basically going to be on, you know, rookie scale deal. Let's pivot over to less less fun situations, which 
I've been watching closely and I don't understand really why more people aren't befuddled. And I get that (laughs) nepotism is very common in the NBA. I understand that. We've known that. But what's happening in Atlanta feels unusual, Um, Mm -hmm. more unusual than the common stuff that you see. Um, To me, it feels like it started when Travis Schlenk was weirdly discarded. Um, And from then on, the guy who was supposedly going to be the GM of the year or was in talks for being GM of the year now just sort of let out onto the street under some guise of being a consultant. So what's your read on how things turned there, I guess, from the beginning? In my opinion, I think it's got to do with a little bit of unrealistic expectations. And it started from the year that, um, you know, they beat the Knicks and advanced in the playoffs. I think they were ahead of the ahead of the curve at the time. And it said unrealistic, unrealistic expectations for the next season when based on those expectations, they underwhelmed. I thought they were right where they should be. Problem is when you make the DeJounte Murray trade and you give up, you know, a bunch of picks to get that guy and you think you have the best backcourt in the NBA and it translates to just about a 500 record, somebody's head's going to be on a spike. And, you know, you saw the reports early on about Nate McMillan um, there. And, you know, originally Nate, like, when he first became head coach, it just seemed like it took a little bit of time to get him to do that. It didn't seem like he jumped at it initially, which I thought was interesting. And then you've got, you know, there's always the dynamic with Trey Young that you got to look at. And, you know, him and Lloyd Pierce didn't really seem to click as best friends. Um, and then Lloyd was out. Now, the Hawks at the time didn't have a good record. Nate, you know, led them to a good standing, and, and, it, and it made sense at the time. But then that quickly eroded. And now, you know, Joe Prunty's going to be there, and then you got Quinn Snyder coming in um, most likely because he's the top candidate there. And what I thought was interesting, Trista, about all the candidates, and this has quietly been out there for a little bit, um, even while Nate was there, is that um, when you look at Quinn Snyder, you know, Kenny Atkinson, Charles Lee, there's a huge common denominator between all these guys. And it's that they were all Mike Budenholzer coaching tree disciples when Atlanta was having their best run as a franchise. And I think they want to get back to that, you know, this term out of, you know, the culture, they want to get back to the culture. I'm sure you're going to ask me about that with the nets down the line too. But with Atlanta, it's like, everybody's trying to establish consistency. And I think for them, you know, they put all their eggs in this Trey Young basket. And at a certain point, it's going to hit a breaking point because with Trey, you know, they had a good run against the Knicks. And, and since then, it's been kind of quiet. There's going to be a question that Atlanta has to determine. Can you win with Trey Young? Can you win big with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray? It hasn't shown that to this point. I think they're a more talented team on paper than they played. So what's the problem there? And and they're going to use the rest of the season, I think, to figure it out. As far as Travis Schlenk goes, um, you know, I think Travis maybe would have tried to build it a little slower. But, you know, when you got ownership in your ear trying to win at a quicker rate, you got to do what they want. Um, 
you know? And, and so I, I think back to like when Brooklyn was trying to win, when they were moving the team to Brooklyn and they made the Gerald Wallace trade and you would think, well, why did they make that trade? It's like, well, they had a kind of a, a to-do list there of we need to get to this point. We're going to open up a new arena and things like that. And you saw them with Chris Humphreys and other guys, they got Darren Williams. And a lot of times, you know, with ownership, that kind of dictates the direction of a team. And I, yeah. and I think you really saw that with Atlanta here. And again, it's, it's, I think after this year, it's going to be at a real needle moving point for them. They've got to start to figure out, can you win with Trey Young or not? And the guy's been an all-star talent. He puts up great stats. Um, but I think he knows it too, that, that that's been the question around him. Can, can you win with him? Do you think that he's hard to coach? I think when a guy takes 35 footers at a decent amount, sometimes you might scratch your head and say, we could probably get a better shot than that. Like it's cool to hit a logo three, but how many of those are you realistically hitting? Um, I, I, I think with Trey that that's the biggest thing. Like he puts up stats. He, it's not like he's an unwilling passer. Clearly the guy gets a nine assist a game, but he's a high usage guy too. Um, I think that's a, you know, I think you would get differing answers on that from Lloyd Pierce and Nate McMillan uh, to this point. So I'll leave it at that. I mean, he's, he's a talented guy, but um, at, at a certain point, I could see as a coach being frustrated with, with 35 footers. Um, you know, he gets to the foul line at a good rate. I think a lot of, I think some coaches would like to see him maybe really emphasize that more. Um, he already does it at a high clip. It could probably even be um, higher in that sense. I'm curious. So like you mentioned, Quinn Snyder is now rumored to be essentially on the finish line with Atlanta. Yeah. I personally think that is a massive mistake for Quinn Snyder. I would not want to be involved in this team in any way, the way that it functions, especially considering Trey Young. I don't think Quinn Snyder is going to have the same success that he had with the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell. I think those are two different guards, two completely different players. Mm -hmm. uh, and on top of that, like there's, I've heard stories that Quinn Snyder has seating charts on his bus, right? On his team bus. Um, it doesn't feel like this is a fit. Well, it, like, am I wrong? I think for a lot of coaches in the league, especially a guy like him, you can kind of get any job you want. And he got rumored for the Lakers job for a while there, you know, with Darwin, and, and that didn't materialize. A guy like him probably looks at that roster and says, I got a lot of talent here. I, I think I could tweak some things and do certain things. But a lot of that's got to be based on background info, too. Like, what do you, you know, to your question, can, you know, what's it like to coach Trey Young? I would imagine he's done his background on that and talked to people about it. So um, to me, I think that's the uh, the biggest thing there. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he thinks he can come in there and then in, in the remainder of the season, you know, which, which would be a heck of a time to bring in a new coach if they got that done. Does he want to get in there early, feel it out, and then go to Landry Field and say, okay, listen, this is what we got to do if we want to win. And then feel it out beforehand. Maybe that could be a thought process, you know, try to start earning a new paycheck now, you know, post Utah and yeah. you probably get good money to go there. That's the other thing too. So um, time would tell if it's a mistake or not, but I understand from your perspective, the concerns there, because you've got two elite guards on paper and it hasn't translated. Are they a fit? Like, I, like if you're Quinn Snyder, you have to have something on paper where you can make these two coexist at and, a high level. 
and make them a defensive team, right? Every team that's a contender is a top yeah. five, has a top five defense and, you know, a top, usually a top five offense as well. Some mm -hmm. combination of those two. I don't know that Quinn Snyder with Trey Young together gets it done for a top five defense, top 10 defense. I, I, to me, and I know this move maybe is crazy. If I was going to do it, I would, I would hire Ime Yudoka to take over. I think he's a, one, a person that could instill some defensive practices on that team. On the court, yes. I mean, obviously yeah. you got to do your, your due diligence of off the court. And yeah. that's, that's obviously been a, a tough one. We saw how quickly that did not materialize for the Brooklyn Nets. There were a lot of rumors there about him going to the Nets, and then it didn't pan out. And, and you know, for Jack Vaughn, I mean, he took the opportunity and ran with it. Again, I, you know, we talk about guys that – I've done a great job coaching this year. I think Jock Vaughn's been a sensational coach for the Nets, given everything that's been thrown his way. Um, you know, some people, you know, get compared to like being a rock. I mean, I think Jock Vaughn has been a boulder for the Brooklyn Nets, given the Kyrie Irving stuff, the Kevin Durant trade talks at the time, and whether he wanted to be happy or not, Ben Simmons' situation, and um now going from a win now team to a team that's got a lot of young guys and a surplus of wings that they're going to have to break up at some point over the summer. Um, he yeah. has juggled that extraordinarily well. And I, it, it's been nice to see him be rewarded for it. I think he embodies a lot of what Brooklyn is about in terms of the, the old culture and the regime. And, um, you know, this is a guy that nearly became the coach of the New Orleans Pelicans before Willie Green ended up getting it and um you know he did a good job in the bubble with the nets and yeah, he, I, I, he just had some flirtatious interest from colleges as well about maybe going back to college but um for jv uh you know that beard tells a story trista and he's, he's not <laughs> shaving it anytime soon i joke with him i said i don't know if you're pulling your you know atos out of there or anything like that but um it's it's a part of him you know he, those grays show um his journey in the league and and the players love him management loves him and ironically i think he got along best with kyrie irving among a lot of the coaches sure. that he's been with um you know trista he used to have and i know we're kind of pivoting towards the nets but i figured we were going to talk about them at some point anyway um with jv like jack Vaughn got through kyrie probably the best, one of, as one of the best coaches he's had because he used to work out with him and, and trade with him before games uh, all the way dating back to when Steve Nash first got hired as coach and they had D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni and Ime Udoka there. Um, and, and, you know, with KD, they had a good relationship. Um, you know, how, like, honestly, how could you not like Jack Vaughn? He's a great guy. And I think like, he's also the type of guy that's not afraid to challenge a guy. Um, and he has, he's, he's balanced that very well with, with this Nets team. Yeah. And I think culturally the Nets are in the best spot that they've been since they had D'Angelo Russell on that, on that team and yeah. uh, Lopez and they had, I mean, obviously Jared Allen and Dimwitty, like that team was fun. And I've spent time living in New York. I would do weekends, weekends on the fan. And the number one thing that people say is like, they just don't want to buy players. They don't want to buy culture. They want to feel like that they have, something that they can lean against yeah. and isn't just going to fly by night and come in and come out. And uh, to me, it feels like 
uh, if Sean Marks is smart, he would have he'll, he'll use that lesson going after stars and say, we don't do that anymore. We make stars here. Um, like Mikhail Bridges, who I think could be a real superstar for their team. I was going to have to be. I mean, look, I reported they passed on four first round picks from the Memphis Grizzlies for him. So you got to be pretty confident. Now, I'm not saying those Grizzlies picks would have been that great because you look at them, they're going to be, you know, somewhere in the 20s, mid 20s. They're a really good team. But, you know, when you hear that just initially, like, wow, four first round picks, like the market's crazy. Thank you, Rudy Gobert. Yeah, Rudy um, Gobert is nuts. Totally, totally wrecked the trade market. But for the Nets, um, you know, what I would say to you, Trista, is that I think that Nets team, the six seed Kenny Atkinson team, um, had a ceiling and they also knew that. And I think there was a balance between trying to keep some of the culture guys like like a Damari Carroll, you know, Ed Davis at the time was going to get more money elsewhere. He played himself into a better contract. Uh, Jared Dudley as well um, when he left and you know, went to the Lakers. But um, I, I think for them, they knew that it was at a needle moving point for them. And you couldn't pass on the talent of Durant and Kyrie. You know, DeAndre Jordan was along for the ride, but they believed in Jared Allen more internally, I would say. And that, um, you know, Kenny Atkinson certainly did. Uh and then that caused a little bit of friction there because, you know, KD and Kyrie and of course. DeAndre Jordan were all best buddies. But, um, you know, I won't fault Sean Marks for making the all-in trade for James Harden. I would have did the same thing. I would have put all the chips in the center of the table. And I would tell you that the whole league was scared. Um, I don't know anybody, executives and scouts I talked to, the people were complaining, oh, come on, man, now they're getting Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge too. Like how much help do they need? And it's like that's what they were complaining about, like these guys on the back end of their careers, former All-Stars, because everybody knew. You know, they were getting Mike James, who was an elite overseas player. Um, everybody was along for that bandwagon. And unfortunately, you know, Durant had a shoe size too big and stepped on the line against Milwaukee. Steve Nash was not ready at the time to be the coach of that team. I will always say that. That was one of the bigger mistakes I would say they made. So we talked about just kind of everything in Atlanta, but I'd be curious to get your thoughts on who might also be on the hot seat. We got rumors about potentially Nick Nurse. You've heard rumors about Tibbs. Obviously, the Wizards have overperformed recently, but I heard some rumors about Wes Unsell Jr., Ponzi Billups even to a degree, Steven Silas. It's kind of a long list. Well, I think he buried the lead. I think Steven Silas um, would probably be the guy biggest on the hot seat just from his press conference earlier in the year when he was frustrated with the guys not doing what they were supposed to um, look it up on Twitter. You'll see the video for sure. Um, but uh, to me, I think Houston's trying to win sooner than later. Ooh. And it's going to start next year. They got a lot of cap space. They got a lot of room to make some noise. And um, really, you I, think could, that- I could just, t- I could tell you what their mindset is. Do you I- think that, do you think that the way that they've done things, shows that they have a plan for what the team should be? I think they got a lot of cap space and money is always a convincing thing. And you've got, you know, younger guys. who may want to go back. 
<laughs> Chase, so for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, you saw Michael Scotto give me a very non, non, uh, James, doesn't want to say anything, but also an acknowledgement. I mean, it's it's been out there for a yeah. while. It's been out there for a while. I'm a little befuddled because I think Philly's been really good. And I think, you know, I always just, you know, kind of sit on my hands and just wait on stuff like that because to me, it depends on, you know, now Philadelphia gets bounced in the first round or something. Well, now that that might give you a little more reason to say, you know, I tried and it, and it didn't work. But if they go to like the Eastern Conference Finals or they go to the finals, you better be bringing in a squad to to compete with the young Rockets core that's there, or do they try to move some of those guys? There's a lot of variables there. I mean, James loved Houston, no question about it. I think that's that's the bigger thing. Um, he loved Houston and uh, different parts of Houston, uh, yeah. which I'll, I'll, I'll say like that. Um, but, you know. Lots of offering Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, lots of, you know, a lot of. Um, a lot of nightlife. A lot of things uh, to do. I was going to go with Southern Charm, but sure. Yeah, yeah a lot that, of Southern that, Charm. He has a restaurant and bar there as mm-hmm. well. We know that there's just a lot that James yeah. Harden has fallen in love with in Houston. Yes, yes, there's a lot, lots of love out there. The more, the more, the merrier. I would say, um, you know, for Philly, though, like anybody knows him as well as anybody, it's Daryl Morey. I think he's catered to him and in the sense that, like, they took less on his contract. He got P.J. Tucker, he got guys that, you know, he believes he can win with. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of stuff that gets out there, Trista. Like, there was also, like, some reports that, oh, yeah, you know, James Harden wants to play with Eric Gordon, too. Okay, they traded Eric Gordon. So is Eric Gordon going to somehow make his way back there? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of stuff gets out there now. I think it's fun, speculative. I mean, but with James, there, there's some truth to, you know, I, I don't think it's reckless speculation. I mean, I've heard it from enough people where there is this thought that maybe he does go back, but I, I just don't think it's as concrete right now. Um, yeah. yeah, and I don't think it can be because if Philadelphia does well, I think that should factor in. I mean, him and Joel and, and Embiid are a top, you know, blank duo. They're phenomenal. So you're going to leave that? That's that's a lot, you know. If you can get a full max there, then does that change things? Is is Houston being used as leverage to get the full max that he can get from Philly? Otherwise, Houston's uh, to me not going to do anything at all. Like if you don't get somebody back, that's that's going to mm-hmm. be really, really good. It just feels like nobody really wants to play real basketball there. I mean, they want to be able to get 30 shots themselves. Well, that's Kevin well, Porter gonna, Jr. Jaylen. I will say this. They are going to go for more veteran guys this offseason. Who would be their number one uh, target, you think? I mean, besides James Harden? Yeah. Too early to say, but whoever can help them win sooner than later – um, now, I know, like, you know, Tillman Fertitta um, had the comment about, you know, I'll, you know, you got 10 days off and pray for Victor uh, when it comes to the draft. I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, no, uh, you got to you got to check out. We linked it on the Hoopside Rumors. He was on, a, I think it was a local, I don't know if it was a local TV station or something, but, it, you know, he was he was out having a good time. And I saw that and I went, mm, 
I would too. If honestly, if I was any team in the ladder, I'd be I'd be praying a rosary for Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson. Yeah. Um, but I think certainly Victor's the prize. Um, but yeah, they're gonna they're gonna try to win more this summer. That cap space isn't there to just you know sit there and be traded for future picks. They got a lot of young guys. Um, I don't know if it's the right mix of young guys. I think that yeah. you know Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green. You know, I think Jabari Smith is about the right things. I think he wants to win. I think it's, I think he's a baby in the sense that he's a, he's a kid. He's a teenager. Like, he's going to grow into who he's going to be. He plays both sides of the ball. Um, and I think he's got to expand his handle. But he's, he's a nice piece that they have. You know, they thought they were going to end up with Paolo Bancaro. And then Orlando pulled a fast one on everybody and, and took the best player in the draft. And, uh, and again, the, the hope that potentially – the greatest Italian basketball player there there was, you know. I know Danilo Gallinari might, you know, look at me and go, Mike, I'm a kickoff. But it's, it's it's a possibility. It is. Yeah. He's, he's that good and he's that young that his upside is is sensational. He can do it all. Yeah, you're right. I, I was reading some of the breakdowns that you had on some of these young players, not only ones that are just in the league now, like Jalen Williams, but draft breakdown moving forward. Yeah. Uh, who do you think is – a player that we're not talking about that could end up being next year, their version of the Andrew Nemhards of the world or the Jalen Williams of the world, people who are going to sneak up on us um, that we're not, that we're not really knowing about. I don't think enough people know about Taylor Hendricks. I think he's vaulted his way into potentially the top 20 two way player. Um, could be a stretch four or five in the NBA, depending on how they want to play lineups. And as he bulks up, and Jordan Hawkins is a good shooter that people are starting to keep an eye on out of UConn. Um, I think some guys have fallen in the draft that I think when they go to the NBA, I'm curious their impact level. Uh, Derek Lively from Duke, I think has fallen a little bit, but he's, he's, he's shown some flashes. Um, you know, he can he can run block shots. He's got an elite NBA skill at that. Um, you think Leaky Black's a legit NBA guy? I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't heard enough on him from from guys. Could he be like a sleeper? Anybody that's like an older guy that, you know, has been in college could always be more of a win now guy. Yeah. Um, I know sometimes people wonder about that, like with, with Kobe Jones, Kobe, um, you know, does a lot of good things, but not maybe something exceptionally well, um, but he's seasoned. And I think you can say the same thing about Chris Murray from Iowa. And, and uh, yeah. the number one thing I, I hear from executives and scouts is what is this league? It's shooting. And he brings that um, at a high level. So I, I think he'll, he'll maybe go higher than probably people thought. Those are some names like I would look at, um, you know, maybe – in the late first round or somewhere that that could that could pop on in, in the right situation and, and affect winning at that. Let me tell ask you about this uh, from a draft stock perspective. How do you think all of the news around Brandon Miller is mm -hmm. going to affect his stock? Do you think he ends up falling? Uh, the number one thing I've heard from everybody is it's going to make for a heck of a pre-draft interview process for him. And that it's uh, – I don't think right now it's affecting his stock because 
know, yeah, legally, like the other night and legally nothing's well, happening. legally there's nothing he's being charged with and they said that there's nothing they can charge him with so um i think this is more of a background question of from executives and scouts at the nba level who's in this kid's circle and do there need to be changes made but i mean legally the situation is what it is it's a very unfortunate situation at that um, they quite honestly, I think, you know, an Alabama's coach, Nate Oates, kind of issued a second statement after the first one when he said that it was I had something about, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, very poor choice of words, um, which he, you know, apologized for and rightfully so. Um, you know, it, this is definitely going to be a, a huge topic of conversation behind the scenes, but talent wise, now his, his stock uh at worst is probably top five i think he has a real shot at two or three talent wise as long as everything checks out and i say two because it depends on the team that lands the pick if you got a boatload of guards you know do you need that like if you're a team like orlando and maybe you're looking for a point guard then you go with scoop but if you're a team like the pistons with Cade cunningham and all those guys do you really need another guard Jaden yeah. Ivey there, Killian Hayes. Now you probably need a three that could, you know, light it up like Times Square on New Year's Eve when it comes to scoring the ball. Um, you know, certainly I've seen a lot of, um, ironically, it was like, I think the day after, um, you know, we had published our mock draft and, uh, you know, a lot of people had the same question you did, how much our, our aggregate mock draft where we, where we pull, you know, the, the 10 mock drafts that are out there right now and, you know, I provide my own intel from scouts and execs, but yeah, that's the big question with Brandon Goodwin is, is Scott going to change? And right now, Trista, I haven't, I haven't seen that yet just because legally there's not much that can change at this point. You don't think that even outside of the legal stuff that someone would just be questioning decision. Oh, there's going to be questions, but yeah. I think at the end of the day, this draft is not, it's not deep enough for it it's to matter. Not Like he's yeah. a top five player. Yep. And so I think that, you know, as long as you do your background and you can know that, you know, it was an unfortunate incident, obviously, and you can kind of maybe clean up some of the people that he was around with at the time. Like when he goes to the NBA, he's not going to be around uh, those, you know, those teammates that he was with, uh, you know, in kid miles. So um, it's definitely going to be a learning experience, but I think also for him, it shows a level of, it shows something. I don't know what the adjective is, but to have all that noise around you in a drop going, 41. Yeah. I think that also says something to NBA executives too, that you can, as a player, block out things around you and, you know, focus at the task at hand on the court in, in that aspect. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see. Um, just lastly, I know you have to go and we've gone way over time, but I just want to get your thoughts on Russ uh, to the Clippers because I saw, Lawrence Frank's comments mm -hmm. and then that was before they picked up Russ so Lawrence Frank GM of the Clippers said that they needed somebody who's not going to be played off the floor uh defensively someone who is going to be able to play off ball somebody who is going to be able to shoot someone who is going to be able to manage these rotations in a different a bunch of different ways um, but that does not remind me. Those qualities do not remind me of Russell Westbrook. Right. Russ is none of those things. Um, to me, why, in your opinion, why, why is that a fit? Like, why do they do this move? 
Paul George vouched pretty highly for him. Yeah. It was a Paul. And, uh, you think it's number one, Paul George? I don't know if there was a bigger advocate for Russell Westbrook than Paul George. I, I you know, I know it's a pretty simple answer, but that's it. Sometimes that's- sometimes Trista, I think it is that simple. And I think yeah. they had a, a clear need at that position. And he was on paper the best available guy. And when you're in such a win now mode, you give it a shot. You give it a shot and you say, um, it's his best chance to win a championship. Yeah. So he should be on his best behavior. I think he showed with the Lakers that he's at least willing to come off the bench and try different things. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be his role with the Clippers. Um, but I think you're going to see a rejuvenated Russell Westbrook. Now, Ty Lue, of all guys, I think is the right guy to manage it. Yeah. Ty Lue isn't going to play favorites. He's going to put the best guy on the floor that he thinks is going to win. Um, and I'll say this, the Clippers got more fun. They did. They, they definitely got, more, got fun. more fun. Whether it's on or off the court, um, there are more eyeballs and it's going to be fun. And, you know, I can't wait to see Steve Ballmer get all excited <laughs> on the sidelines there. He's, he's probably – um, Steve Ballmer has the best reactions of any owner. And I would tell you and your fans that Mike Budenholzer has the best reactions of any coach. He routinely looks like his car was left outside in a double park spot and he's, <laughs> yeah. and he was getting, he's about to get towed and he's like, <laughs> like with the referees and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's like, like these are uh, normal basketball things that are happening, Mike, like you should not be uh, this shocked. I guess my, <laughs> the, the, the final sort of question that went through my mind as I was getting ready for this back and forth mm-hmm. is like, so Russell Westbrook's going to be a free agent. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think this off season, his value is? Oh. And if he can't stay in LA, does it, he retire? Come back to me on the value after the playoffs. Cause I can give you an honest answer. I have more. What is it back. right now? 10 million, like John wall money. Depending on what a team has, whether it's the taxpayer or the non-taxpayer, uh, mid-level exception. And I would say to your second question, if he's not going to stay in L.A., would he retire? No, I, I don't see that. I still think he's got some basketball left in him, certainly. Um, but I think he's got to find the right niche, and it's becoming more narrowed. Uh, over time. I mean, we've seen him. He's gone, he's gone through a bunch of teams now after OKC. So that niche for what he brings is narrowing. Um, I think it's an important playoff run for him. And I do think he's in a position to succeed. Um, he's going to be motivated. Uh, so this is his best shot, I think, to, to not only win a championship, improve his stock, around the league going into free agency and, and his future. Yeah. The only reason I thought even about retirement is it just feels like lifestyle and family is way, way more and stuff off the court, like honor sure. the gift. Very, very important to him. Obviously that's why he decided to stay with the Clippers, stay in LA outside of just the basketball fit. So I was yeah. curious whether, even though he has a lot left in the tank, does he want to continue to be relocating and, reacclimating and deal with new media and deal with new slander. You know what I mean? Like at a certain point you've made a lot of money, you've done a lot of great things. Maybe it's just time. 
Yeah, I don't know if the media part of that's going to change. I think Russ is Russ. Um, yeah. I think, you know, maybe if he saw some Laker reporters, he'd have some things to say about some of the comments on his way out. But I'll leave it. At, I'll leave that one at that. Well, appreciate you. We'll have to do this again sometime soon, closer to the draft. Yeah, uh, for sure. I appreciate you um, just breaking it all down. Oh, my pleasure, Tristan. I appreciate the the thoughtful and insightful questions. I think you think good, productive conversation and a lot of stuff to look ahead towards. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know you are as well. And yeah, yeah. for sure, we'll do it. We'll have to do a home and home too. I'll come on yours. That's all the time that we have uh, for the heat check. Big thanks to Michael Scotto. Give him a follow at Mike A. Scotto. Get the Hoops Hype podcast wherever you get your audio. Read his stuff on Hoops Hype. Really, really good features. That's all the time that we have. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow. And do not forget to check the feed for past episodes and interviews that drop unexpectedly throughout the week. Follow the heat check as the season heads towards the playoff. So download, subscribe. Please tell your friends, every single one of them. And follow us on social at, at this heat check on TikTok, at Trista Crick on TikTok, because the heat check never sleeps, even after the trade deadline. 